It's said that Hermes, messenger of the gods, instructed primitive peoples in the arts and sciences of culture, giving birth to humanity as we now know it. From the Hermetic perspective, everything is connected by core principles that are seamlessly woven into the holographic and fractal nature of reality. My job is to expose those hermetic principles to modern people and to inspire an alchemical renaissance so we can collectively integrate them with terrestrial arts and sciences for a more beautiful and sustainable human experience. My name is Phoenix Aurelius. I'm the founder of Alchemiculture, which is a perennial philosophy that incorporates hermetic and alchemical principles into every aspect of human culture, the arts, the sciences, and our relationship with nature and natural resources. Join me as we actively weave Hermeticism back into our social fabric. Hey there, folks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Alchemiculture Podcast. I am your host, Phoenix Aurelius, and tonight we're going to be talking a little bit more about intention setting, magical practices, the threats, possibly, uh, or at least the ramifications of not getting on the playing board with our intentions, uh, how Satanism might come into this picture, astrology, astronomy, uh, Greek mythology, so many other things are going to come into play here. And I'm going to try and make it kind of short and kind of concise and hopefully just very inspirational because that's my intention. So let me just start off with the full intention, I guess, now that we have the introduction out of the way, is that my hope for humanity is that it can begin to manifest the intentions for goodness in the planet just as well and as calculated as people are currently manifesting negative intentions and self-serving intentions for the planet. And let me tell you that I'm not necessarily on the side of light and I'm not necessarily on the side of darkness. It's not about that. I'm not polarizing myself or trying to get on one side or the other. And I'm not saying that dark magic is bad. I'm not saying that white magic is good or any of or the reciprocal. Okay. I'm not saying any of those things. All I'm saying is that there needs to be maintained a certain balance of energy on the planet for the benefit and the proliferation of all things. If white or light gets way too intense, then all things burn. And if darkness gets in too intense, then all things ferment and die. And the perfect balance, which is different seasonally, that's what we learn from the seasons. A different balance is necessary. And that during each season, certain things happen that otherwise wouldn't happen had there been different light. For instance, in the wintertime, we wouldn't have all of the snow that we have if we didn't have all the darkness that we have. The temperatures wouldn't drop enough and so on and so forth. And so what we see is that every different season allows for a different amount of light and a different amount of darkness, but they're all equal throughout the year. That's what the equinoxes, which means equal night, meaning that there's equal day and equal night. And the solstices actually indicate when solstices are longest day, longest night, right? So this is a very important and perennial concept that we need to attain balance. Now, what inspired this episode is that the night that I'm recording this, which is the night of November 18th leading into November 19th, there is a partial lunar eclipse happening. And for anybody who's studied astrology or maybe listens to other astrologers, this particular lunar eclipse is happening at a conjunction 
uh, and this is true sidereally, just as well as it is uh, tropically tonight. It's at a conjunction with a particular star that has a very malevolent force or is considered to have a malevolent force from medieval times on up called Algol. Algol is really cool. It's got a lot of uh, really great things in terms of astronomy to look at. Like it's one of the brightest stars in the sky. It's the second brightest in Perseus. And it does this cool winking thing. And modern astrophysicists and astronomers tend to think that there is a small binary star system that rotate around each other and that one of the smaller stars comes in the way of the, the brighter star, which is known as Beta Persei, or Persei, rather, um, also known as Algol, and that this is primarily what causes the winking effect. But if you zoom out on astronomical software, you can see that there's even a third star. And so some people have called it a tertiary star system where an even more intense blinking uh, actually happens. And Algol has very interesting ar archetypal energy because um, it, it shows up, even its name in multiple different cultures is all kind of devious. In Latin, it was known as uh, Caput Larvae, which means the head of the specter. Algol means like ghoul's head or ghost's head, or sometimes just the ghoul or the ghost. It's also been called uh, in Hebrew, how do they call it? Rosh, Rosh HaSatan, Rosh HaSatan, which is going to mean uh, the head of Satan, quite literally. It would be a, a kind of a literal translation. It has a, these kind of negative connotations, but let's let's explore Greek mythology a little bit because the constellation of Perseus directly comes out of Greek mythology. So Perseus gets uh, more or less enslaved as his mother gets enslaved or at least captured and taken over by this very greedy king who covets his mother beyond all things. And so Perseus uh, kind of gets in an argument and a fight with him and says that he wants to save his mother and... Uh, tries to do that and the king bargains with him and basically says if you'll bring me Medusa's head uh, and kill this this vile beast then I will release your mother so he goes on this adventure but Perseus is a demigod right he's he is a son of Zeus and so as he's on this the gods actually come to help him and this is cool because he receives the gift from four gods and goddesses I guess so Hades, the god of the underworld, also known as Pluto, gave Perseus the cap of invisibility so that he could become invisible as he enters that lair, and that would help him a great deal. He could still be heard, of course, but that, you know, he could be invisible, and that give, at least gives him a leg up. Hermes, the god of travel, gave Perseus a pair of winged sandals, and this helped him move with expedited speed and to be able to... Uh, move more silently by hovering over the ground so that was awesome then athena gave perseus a reflective bronze shield and hephaestus who was the god of the fire and the forge gave perseus a sword so pretty cool four gifts especially very helpful for defeating uh, a gorgon also known as medusa or the snakehead creature and her whole thing is that if she looks at you you turn to stone you become inanimate you can't move. You can't do anything. You're rendered inert, incapable. So Perseus, using the gifts from the gods, ends up entering into Medusa's cave on this journey that he's on. He finds Medusa. She's asleep. 
um she she's just like totally out and perseus is trying not to wake her so what he ends up doing is he takes this reflective bronze shield the shield that athena gave him is so highly polished that he can see in it like a mirror and uh he uses it to be able to locate medusa because if he wakes her up and she looks at him uh, and he makes eye contact with her, he's turned to stone. So while she's asleep, he's using this mirror, he's hovering around to stay silent, being sure not to wake her up, and then locates Medusa. And while kind of hovering backwards towards Medusa, um, he holds that shield in the air, keeps a clear eye, and then um, only looks at her in the shield. He takes the sword that was given to him and from Hephaestus, and he beheads Medusa. And then as medusa was beheaded it said that she actually birthed pegasus and uh Chrysaur from her neck and those were poseidon's children's the sea god had bred with medusa so pegasus and Chrysaur were born from her death um but then perseus threw medusa's head into a satchel he journeyed home but then he ended up using it as a, a weapon so on his way home he came upon Andromeda, which is also personified by a constellation uh, that it looks like kneeling with outstretched arms basically towards Perseus. And she's a super beautiful woman in mythology who is embedded into this rock. And there's a sea monster that was going to come out of the sea and eat Andromeda. So Perseus um, ends up slaying the monster and rescuing Andromeda. Now, it turns out that uh, Andromeda was actually promised to marry this other dude named Phineas. So, you know, Perseus just rescues Andromeda. She's pledged her love to Perseus, but she's like, hey, I got to tell you, I'm, I was already pledged to this guy named Phineas. So Phineas finds out. He tries to fight Perseus. Perseus ends up actually using the head of Medusa kind of like uh, as a defense in order to turn Phineas into stone. So that was awesome. And then Perseus and Andromeda return back to the king, whose name I think was Polydectes, who imprisoned his mother. And uh, what ended up happening is that Perseus actually also used the head of Medusa to turn Polydectes into stone as well. And so basically the head of Medusa, Medusa itself, scary individual, very dark energy, uh, very destructive, makes things inanimate. But its head, used properly for a hero-type archetype, is going to be extremely advantageous and helpful in being able to, uh, being able to overcome adversity and uh, direct competition and, um, you know, help you in combat, basically, I suppose. So with that being said, let me let me talk about magical rituals for those of you who have listened to my crow triple seven episodes especially the second hour that i did with uh, crow on multiple occasions i said that astrology is really important especially sidereal astrology and understanding what we were referring to as the sky clock to understand the cosmic rhythms and forces that are at play and one of the rhythms that's at play tonight is this severed head of medusa particularly the right eye that is winking <laughs> it's a winking eye interestingly enough and it varies in its magnitude as a result of that as a binary star it goes from like a 3.1 down to a 2.4 or rather other way around from 2.4 which is brighter all the way down to like a 3.1 or something like that uh in terms of its magnitude as a star 
and uh, it literally looks like it's winking at you. And it takes about uh, the uh, total eclipse happens for about 10 hours in total with the max happening at about five hours in uh, or something like that, four hours in. Um, and it has some time building up to it, the max eclipse and then uh, going away. But because the constellation of Perseus is Perseus holding a sword above his head with his right hand and in his left hand holding Medusa, this star known as Algol or Beta Persei is very, very fascinating because it's the right eye of Medusa. And so if it's captured at just the right time, it has a very negative energy. And medieval astrologers used to say that it has one of the most maleficent energies of all of the stars, the fixed uh, and moving stars in the night sky. It is one of the 62 brightest stars of the night sky, and it's the second brightest in the constellation of Perseus. So it's very visible. You can see it with the naked eye and you can also see it at night when it winks, as long as, you know, it's actually winking during the night because it happens. Uh, the whole cycle takes something like 2.867 days to uh, continue uh, from start to finish. And so if you catch it during that particular 10 hour eclipse period, you're going to see it wink and it will vary pretty drastically in its magnitude at those times. So... Uh, it's got a, a pretty negative energy at low tide. There's not a whole lot of efficacy to it because it's such a small winking sensation. You can hardly see its light when it's full bright. That's not a good sign. And it is going to be full bright tonight during the lunar eclipse at a conjunction of the moon, meaning that the moon is offering its energy to this thing because it can actually not be seen. Its energies and vibrations are being obfuscated by the shadow that is being cast onto the moon, uh, presumably by the earth. If we, uh, you know, have learned anything from astronomy, uh, that's the current model. And so basically uh, what ends up happening is that we can't actually see or receive the vibrations of the moon. So the vibrations of the moon actually go elsewhere. They lend themselves to this star that is going to be conjunct and directly north of where we find the moon in the night sky. And that is, uh, or above and to the north is what we would see it as from, from our per perspective here on earth is, uh, going to be a very negative type of of insinuation. And not only that, but it's at a trine with Pluto. Pluto is in Sagittarius. Pluto's the god of death. He's Hades. And he's in the sign of Sagittarius. So he has a lot of fire behind him right now. He's a cold, dark sign, but he has a lot of fire. And it sounds like Hades is in hell <laughs> being in Sagittarius. But it also deals with intellectualism. Sagittarius does. It also deals with, uh, medically speaking, it deals with like the, the thighs and the legs in general and parts of the nervous system and stuff like that. So there, there are a lot of different associations. And then we're also at a square with Jupiter. Now, the Algol star is said by astrologers to have the same planetary resonance and energy as a conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn. So it has a lot of this grandiose energy of Jupiter and a lot of this death and time energy of Saturn. In fact, Saturn's benefic energy is chronos, which is time and maturity and wisdom. Its negative aspect, of course, would be death or Satan, Satan. 
And so it gets in the way of the light because death comes and we're not able to reach our moments of illumination or enlightenment, right? Especially if we're not using time as our ally. All planets have a dual-natured aspect, but those are the two of Saturn. Jupiter has this very benefic uh, aspect and jovial aspect to it. In fact, that's where we get the term. The term, you don't say Jupiterian, you say jovial when you're talking about the association of something to the planet Jupiter. It has a jovial nature, means that it's governed by Jupiter. Jupiter has this very Jupiterian energy, but Jupiterian is not an actual word. Jovial is the word. So with that being said, the jovial nature is being blocked or not being able to uh, come through. They're a direct opposition. And especially Jupiter being in Capricorn during this whole thing. And again, this is astronomically, okay, this is according to the true sidereal of Athens Cementi, uh, the style that we use here at the Phoenix Aurelius Research Academy. What we're seeing is that there is a, a conflict of energy between Jupiter and the moon and Algul as a result. And there is a uh, enforcing or helping energy that is coming from Pluto to this situation. Now, what I think is really interesting about this is that there are going to be indefinitely many dark magicians who are using this, this full moon, any full moon that is conjunct to Algol is considered by dark magicians and even within Renaissance magic as having very particular energy to it that ought to be harnessed in one way or the other. And dark magicians definitely can draw upon the Medusa aspect and the archetype of harm just as easily as they can draw upon its protective aspects. So the dark aspect is the Medusa's head, the eyes in particular, which anything that it looks upon will turn to stone, right? But the benefic aspect is that we can use this like Perseus for the benefit of good. We can use the same threat against itself as long as we know what the energies actually are and how to use them and what the mythology is. And this is why mythology and astrology and astronomy are actually really important because these archetypes, as long as we name them these things in the astral, actually hold a strong resonance and a relevance, however you perceive the constellations, okay? It just happens that the majority of the world since 1922 with the International, uh, International Astronomical Union calls various constellations by mostly their Greco-Roman and Arabic names. And so we know all of these stars and we know all of these constellations and all of the planets by their Greco-Roman names and their Arabic names, and they all have very important lore according to... Uh, their positions and how they interact and their personifications. And as long as we are calling them these things and acknowledging this as a planet, as a planetary energy, then what ends up happening is that in the astral field, they actually hold that resonance and that energy even more so. So they're natural. They're already sending vibrations and energy to the earth. That's a vibrational level, but then they have even more astral potency by the power that we prescribe them based on their associations and affiliations with, with mythology. But these things are important. You can't just pretend that it doesn't exist and hope to make an impact. You have to work with all of the forces of nature, the astral forces of nature, the physical forces of nature, the subtle dimensional vibrational forces of nature. We have to work with all of that if we want to be truly conscious and embodied individuals on this planet. So how do we do that? Well, it's really easy. We actually have to set our intentions. So like I said, most of the individuals that are 
aware of this type of association um, are who are actively using it are using it for more nefarious self-serving purposes. And there is a certain negative connotation to that where people will call Satanists and other people who perform dark magic, bad magic. And they give it like this very negative connotation and they give white magic and lightness, this other very glorified connotation. For me, um, I've done enough studies in, in transpersonal work to realize that darkness serves its role and it's very important and light serves its role, just like in the years and in, uh, in a calendar and so on and so forth. And the goal is not to try and obfuscate the dark. What needs to happen is that there's a balance of these energies. And it is my experience at the present time that the majority of people who are aware of these types of conjunctions, these types of astronomical events are pumping, are using these things and pumping their intention into the intrinsic data field of the planet, astrally, physiologically, celestially, spiritually, so on and so forth, causally, they are doing this because they are trained in this form of magic. They are much more informed about this than the common man is or common woman, right? So this is very interesting within the scope of magic because today it is being used by both sides, just like I talked about. There's always, uh, you know, each side only has, just like the game of chess, a certain number of players, and it also only has a certain number of ways that each player can move. And depending upon the algorithmic system of movements, that determines who wins the game. And right now, we are deep in the middle of a game that most people have been completely ignorant is even going on. And there are a lot of adversaries, so to speak, playing on the dark side. And because these people are actually more informed about how to utilize astronomical forces than the common individual who does have good intentions, what is ending up happening is that the good intention people aren't even playing. They're not even aware that they're playing. They're getting knocked off the board left and right. And the people who are winning have a more sinister agenda. Now, you better believe it when I say that there are indefinitely people out there who do not wish you well and who do not wish the future of the planet to be free, but rather to be its captors and rather to be uh, these kind of controlling figures to the entire socioeconomic and social schemes of this planet. Many of these individuals are part of orders where they are very, very, very well aware of the different astronomical and astrological forces at play. And most of the common populace is not. And so it's much easier for them to put their intentions in to the grid, into the overall intrinsic data field of the earth, and thereby influencing the direction of all things that are part of that earth. It's not everybody that's using this for nefarious purposes and knowing about how to use it is not nefarious in and of itself. It's just knowing what you're up against and choosing from your will, your inner place of power and confidence and certainty about your path, about who you are, about your internal system of ethics, how you want to influence the grid of this planet, because you are a a strong vote. In fact, the concept of democracy is actually perennial. The planet is as the humans think it is. That's a very, very 
important perennial truth to understand that our planet is as humans think it is because like Paracelsus said, the thoughts actually take of human beings in particular thoughts actually end up taking on a firmament all of their own. And from that many wondrous things can happen. And in fact, another way of saying that is as you think, so you are, or as we think, so we are. And that's very, very important to meditate upon and understand because it's something that legitimately does shape us. Our viewpoints, our beliefs, the way that we think about things actually ends up shaping the entire course of humanity. And as we change our minds, then the reality of the perspectives of humans end up changing their minds. And we can see this all over the place. It's kind of summed up by the hundredth monkey kind of concept in that as something enters into the realm of idea of any different species, once they see that it's possible and they see somebody else doing it, then it begins to spread and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads like wildfire. That very same principle can be used for quote unquote good or evil. And realistically, dualistically, we have to be able to transcend that and we have to see that both good and evil are an important part. Both light and darkness are an important part of the overall scheme of things. But what is unfortunate is when those two forces become imbalanced. And if, like myself, you seem to notice that the world is at a point of imbalance right now, then the most important thing that a person can do to change that is to take accountability to be part of the balance that they want to see. And we can do that primarily by gaining an understanding of celestial forces at play and terrestrial, also known as telluric forces and lunar forces, and be able to align our intention with each of those individually and all three of them collectively in order to literally make magic and to be able to pump our intentions into the grid and have the forces of nature already working in that favor to be able to amplify and move those intentions in a current or a stream that is beneficial for them. That is really the entire basis of astrological magic in the first place is using celestial forces to be able to amplify and move intention in the current in which is going to make it fertile. And all of magic is essentially placing your intentions into any force that is going to be conducive to help bring your intention to fruition. Simply put. So just like in the Middle Ages, and especially in the Renaissance, there was considered to be dark magic or witchery, so to speak. And then there was also white magic or the magia, uh, magia naturalis, which means magic of nature of Paracelsus um, and many other different types of systems as well. There is what were considered to be white magic and black magic. And of course, between those two spectrums, those two bipolar spectrum, you are uh, poles, you, you see an entire spectrum. You see, say, orange magic, which is all about, you know, say joy and, and love and warmth and you know, sexual uh, safety and all of these other things. You might see green magic, which deals with the plants and uh, with all growing things and tending to growing things, especially to the vegetable kingdom and so on and so forth. So magic 
in and of itself is not something that is fake. It is not something to just be ignored. It is not something that uh, only certain people should be doing. It is something that perhaps an adept can help guide various individuals who are interested in in the intentions and committing their intentions to uh, a particular thing where a guide can help to muster the crowd's energy and direct it at certain times and at certain places for the prolification of that intention to be made manifest. And it is my experience in just meeting people in general that the majority of intentions that exist on this planet are actually good intentions, but people don't know the basic laws of the universe that have been around perennially for thousands of years of how to make that happen. How do we work with it as individuals understanding these effects and put our intention into the grid to be able to match the frequency of what it is that we want to be able to see as the, the full outcome of this. Tonight is a very interesting night because we have the stars and the planets having a very interesting impact upon our planet that many astrologers are going to predict could be very, very negative. Is it possible that there's going to be a lot of death and negativity? Yeah. Does that fit within the agenda of the higher elite at this time, well, based on what a lot of other people are reporting and claiming that they know? Sure. It definitely can. So what's the beneficial aspect? Well, the beneficial aspect, guys, is that we can actually use this as the curtain of truth. First of all, we need to arm ourselves like Perseus with a cloak of invisibility, which is to say that at this time, we need to lay our heads low. We need to stay really low and be invisible to the enemy. That's the best and, and most important thing because the element of surprise is absolutely crucial. We need to be able to defend ourselves with the bronze sword of Athena. And we need to be able to arm ourselves ready for attack at the perfect moment with the sword of Hephaestus. And we need, need to be able to be agile and nimble with the winged sandals of Hermes so that we can move silently and glide effortlessly to our destination. In so many ways, this to me seems very allegorically and metaphorically important to deciding the types of energetic awareness that we are maintaining. And this winking figure has, uh, uh, known as, as Algol, has two very distinct energies. One that is ecliptic and uh, has this kind of lesser energy to it where it's very dreamlike and so on and so forth. And then it has this very destructive thing, just like the Goron, uh, or sorry, the Gorgon, um, Medusa, where if her eyes are closed, then she really does no harm. And that's just like her closing her eyes or that winking effect that you see uh, with the star itself when she's asleep. When the eye is open, it's very dangerous. And that actually can turn things to stone. It can inanimate things. It can stop things in its tracks. It is completely insensible to fight against a system that has infinitely more financing and power. That change will never come that way. We have to follow and live by the axioms that are given to us that contain seeds and kernels of perennial truth. Particularly, I'm referring right now to Buckminster Fuller in that he's, he made a quote saying, 
that we can never defeat a system by placing our attention and on on actually defeating that system. It's already too well funded. It's already too far along. That's not the way that you do things. You do it by being able to focus your attention on creating a new system that replaces the old system, that makes it obsolete. And that's what we really need to be doing with all of these tools. We need to make this Medusa energy, this darkness energy, this predatory energy that neutralizes us obsolete. We need to stop being afraid of the Medusa. We need to use these tools effectively to overcome it. And now this is just a sociological archetypal intention. So what does that intention mean in practicality? Well, it means that we need to overcome the financial systems that ultimately enslave us as humanity. When you trace everything back, it all has a dollar amount, and that dollar amount all comes from financial systems, namely international banking. This is the top of the top. This is the head of the beast. And like Medusa, it must be severed. But we can't necessarily do that by focusing on killing Medusa. What we have to do is focus on our own cleverness and just be present with the task at hand. And a lot of that is going to be using the same energy that could be used for destruction for good, because the end goal is not just to get Medusa's head, but then to use it against the forces that also stand in the way. All of the forces that seek to hold back goodness and righteousness. Those need to be uh, the, this force needs to be used against them, but we have to cut the head off the beast first in order to be able to utilize it as a weapon. And then actually, if my memory serves me right, uh, Perseus ends up giving the head to somebody else who then puts it on a shield or uses it as a shield in order to protect from all negative and maleficent forces. When we think as altruistically as we can now, altruism is dead. Okay. There's no such thing as actual altruism, but there is a thing called win-win. And that's what I would refer to as actual altruism, which is to say that I do something not just for the benefit of other people, because nobody does that, but because it also benefits me, it becomes a very socially responsible and socially ethical way of looking at things. And this is essentially where a lot of people are going, and this pervades a lot of political thought. And we're at this hard growing phase where we're experiencing sociologically a lot of growing pains behind these ideas of how do we provide for society? How do we provide for ourselves? And we're at this diabolical split and the left and right are rife with it, especially in the United States right now, but all over the world. And we are more divided than ever. But at the core of things, most of us have a very non-selfish intention to start healing things. Thank you guys for all of your support. If you like this episode, be sure to like it, subscribe it, hit the bell notification if you're watching on, on YouTube. Uh, be sure to share this information with your friends. And uh, again, thank you so much for all of your support, for listening. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, points of contention, whatever, don't hesitate to put them in the comments. That should be all for tonight, folks. Thank you so much. This has been an Alchemiculture episode, and I've been your host and guest, Phoenix Aurelius. Have a great night.